Hello again. This is Series 8 of Satisfied. The Series 8 podcasts enhance the God-dependent woman's study, covering the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. I'm Melanie Newton, just an everyday kind of woman who loves the Lord and His Word. In the last podcast, we learned how we can trust God's purposes for His provision to us. Today's podcast will cover Lesson 8 of the God-Dependent Woman Bible Study. We will see the importance of grasping truth to protect you from enemy captivity. Since the fall of humanity in the garden, there has been a spiritual war raging in our world between God's truth and the lies resulting from human reasoning and demonic influence. One leads to overflowing joy and dependent living on God. The other leads to self-dependence and rebellion against God. This spiritual warfare takes captives. Believers can be taken captive by bad teaching. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul said this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Strongholds, arguments, pretensions. Taking captive wrong thoughts and making them obedient to Christ, who is the truth. Let's look first at what takes someone captive away from Christ. Then we'll look at how to take our thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ. One summer, we were in Colorado conducting summer camps for our wilderness-based camp ministry. A church youth group rented our camp facility for a week. I was in charge of providing meals. As my husband Ron was about to leave town, he said to me, This group is not your typical church youth group. Hmm, what does that mean? I knew that our senior staff members were on 21-day backpacking trips in the nearby mountains they would not be around to assist. I sent up a quick prayer, Lord, please help us. The group that came looked like typical high school kids and adult counselors, but were very different. (laughs) Very, very different from the usual youth groups that came to our camp. We welcomed and served them. During that week, I realized that we served prisoners, people who had been taken captive. They were taken captive by the philosophy that God is an impersonal energy field, an it, something that binds the universe together. They sought God while staring at a candle for an hour. They were taken captive by the concept that good and bad are relative. Since each person is part of the God force of the universe, each one determines what is good or bad. They meditated upon the God being created in each of them. The message portrayed was this. Salvation comes through uniting one's personal spiritual energy with the other God energy of the universe. Though this group came from what was called a church, they had rejected Jesus Christ as their head and substituted other things for Him. We prayed for protection and guidance as we recognized how much these youth and adults were in the devil's deceitful stronghold. Sadly, most of them were females, either as teenage girls or as adult counselors. What made them susceptible to such captivity? 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul told us how influential fakers get women to follow them. And this still applies today. He said this, They gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Notice what made the women especially gullible, being loaded down with guilt from their sins, plus the constant search for the latest new thing to satisfy the restlessness in their hearts. Various lusts fed their discontentment, and out of a so-called openness to learn, they embraced whatever flashy teachings came along rather than going to the source of established truth. Women who never recognize and grasp biblical truth will be taken captive by whatever flashy teachings that come along and live unsatisfied, unstable lives. We see this in our world today. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wrote about how grasping the truth protects us. He says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We as women need to not only be exposed to truth, but to grasp it and hold vigorously to it so we won't be taken captive by the enemy's schemes. God and Satan agree on one thing. Both want to capture your mind because whoever captures your mind will direct the course of your life. To protect yourself from enemy captivity, renew your mind through knowing the Bible, which is God's truth, and through letting the Holy Spirit implant that truth in your mind so you can understand it. Then you can diffuse arguments against the knowledge of God that are influencing you, and you can take captive your thoughts, making them obedient to Christ. The writings of the New Testament are the work of the Holy Spirit, revealing Himself to the apostles and other disciples of Jesus. The historical reliability of the scriptures is an important issue, and they, the scriptures, can be investigated to show that the biblical records are trustworthy. We can know that God's word is true and reliable. Grasping truth has three parts. First, you dwell in the truth of God you can know. Next, you humbly accept what you don't know or understand. And then you discern any teaching that you read or hear through the complete revelation of God's Word. These three parts help you to fight any kind of spiritual strongholds or to prevent their influence over you. Let's look at them one at a time. First, dwell in truth you can know. We think of the word dwell as a place where you make your home. To dwell in truth is to make your home there. That means God's truth dominates your thoughts and attitudes, governs your life, and satisfies your heart. God's truth is a healthy home for us. God gives us plenty of truth in the Bible that we can know and trust. There are 66 books of Revelation given to us. 
1189 chapters. If we just took one chapter per day and wrote down all the truths about God and our relationship with Him that is revealed to us in that one chapter, it would take us more than three years to get through the whole Bible. And that's even skipping some of those genealogy chapters. God wants us to know the truth He has revealed to us, to make our home in that truth. Paul emphasized in Ephesians chapter 1 how much God wants us to know His truth. This is what he wrote. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of Him so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Look at all that God says we can know. Each passage we read or study has plenty of truth that we can know with certainty and allow to govern our lives. Start out by dwelling in truth you can know. The second part of this grasping truth to protect from enemy captivity is to humbly accept what you don't know or understand. In the midst of all those 1189 chapters in the Bible, there are verses we just don't understand. Perhaps you don't understand something you've read now, but you might understand it in the future as you learn more through Bible study and as you hear great teaching that helps you to understand it. But there are things we will never know or understand. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, reassures us about this as it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Did you hear the emphasis on the things revealed? Yay, they belong to us. We can know them. But there are secret things the Lord has not revealed yet to any human. As we study the Bible, we can do our best to try to understand what is written, but you may never understand something you read. Don't let that shake your confidence in understanding God's truth. When you run across something that you can't seem to understand from a Bible passage, make the choice to humbly accept what you don't know or understand and be satisfied with it. The third part of this grasping truth to protect from enemy captivity is to discern all teaching through the complete revelation of God's Word. This is what I mean by that. First, evaluate what you read and hear by comparing it with the whole Bible. We can't take pieces of the Bible, like a verse or group of verses, and build our entire thinking on that. And we shouldn't let experiences and feelings become our measure of truth. There's junk out there about God, so it's important to really get to know the God of the Bible. All false teachers through the centuries have taken advantage of people who were not dwelling in the truth portrayed in the whole Bible. Let me say this, though. Even the best teachers are not infallible. Most are 80 to 90% right in what they teach and would love to know where they are wrong so they can change it. That includes me. Always check what you hear with what the Word of God says. Now, good Bible study reads a verse in the context of the passage where it is found. 
the paragraph, the chapter, and the book. Each verse is usually part of a continual thought. You've seen that as we've studied 2 Corinthians. Then you can examine the original words to see what the writer meant and what the audience likely understood. You can look at other verses with similar content to let the Bible interpret itself. And you should always ask the Holy Spirit for understanding. Evaluate what you read and hear by comparing it with the whole Bible. To discern teaching, you must also avoid the look, imagine, see dragon when viewing any verse. The look, imagine, see dragon shows up this way. Someone looks at a verse or passage, imagines what they want it to say, then their mind sees what they have imagined through twisting word meanings and interpretations. The result feels more comfortable with what the culture says, like the sayings we have evaluated in each podcast. But it's not intellectually honest, and it really boils down to basing truth on someone's opinion. Now, once it starts, it's like a fiery dragon burning truth in its path. That's why I call it the Look, Imagine, See Dragon. Cultural influence on Bible study feeds this dragon. The culture entices you to look at a verse and imagine a way for it to fit whatever the culture wants. Then your imagination sees what you want to see. Many types of false teaching through the years have started this way. The look, imagine, see dragon leads to error in any discipline based on truth, science, and history as well as the Bible. The brave thing to do is tame the dragon, at least as far as your own approach to Scripture is concerned. So how do you tame the dragon? You tame the look, imagine, see dragon by considering the Bible as sufficient on its own, not needing our improvement. In it, we find what our God considers right and wrong across all time periods, all nationalities and cultures, and across all levels of civilization. Not liking what it says about my particular issue does not give us license to change it to make it easier for everyone to accept. So consider the Bible as sufficient on its own. You also tame the look, imagine, see dragon by basing your faith on what is in God's Word, not something you've just heard about it, and not something you're imagining to be there. Don't let yourself approach the Bible with that mindset. Stop listening to others who do. Another way to tame the look, imagine, see dragon is to follow the inductive process for Bible study. That's the process we use in all of our Joyful Walk Bible studies. The inductive process starts with observation, looking carefully at what the text actually says. The next step is interpretation, which is trying to understand the author's intended meaning to him and to the audience who would read or hear it. Once you know what the Bible says and what it means, then you are ready for application, which is learning how to live this out in your life. Look at what's there, learn what it means and teaches you, then you live it out in your life. When you follow this inductive process for Bible study, 
you'll be able to confidently dwell in that truth. The way to take every thought captive to Christ is to dwell in truth you can know, humbly accept what you don't know or understand, and discern all teaching through the complete revelation of God's Word. So, let's use our process to evaluate a popular saying. Here's our question for today. Does God help those who help themselves? Our saying says this, God helps those who help themselves. Our safety and survival in life do not depend on direct divine intervention, but on our ability to see and willingness to seize opportunities to save ourselves. That's what it says. Now, where did that saying that God helps those who help themselves originate? It's not in the Bible. The phrase originated in the ancient Greek Aesop's fables. And because Benjamin Franklin quoted it in his writings, the saying's been added to popular culture. Something similar can also be found in the Quran. So this concept of God helps those who help themselves is very humanistic. It's saying basically you can do this if you're smart enough to seize opportunities to save yourself. As we have studied in 2 Corinthians, the Bible teaches that we are to depend on God. That doesn't mean he's going to always directly intervene to change a situation. Sometimes he changes us and our perspective toward a situation. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sometimes he gives us the wisdom to handle the situation according to his way of approaching life. That's in 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 6. Yet sometimes he directly intervenes as we have seen in 2 Corinthians 1. Remember that relying on God means that we are supposed to grow and mature in our thinking behavior. It means that we are to be wise and proactive in our dealings with everyone, whether in the church or outside of it, for our own good as well as for the good of others. It means giving back to God all the skills, talents, advantages, and opportunities He gave us and using them for His glory. That involves following His leading and guidance. He still uses the natural and spiritual gifts that He has given to us for our safety and survival in life. God helps those who trust in Him and sometimes uses people as His helpers. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So this saying is false. That's another saying to delete from your mental Wikipedia. From our lesson today, here are some reasons why God wants us to depend on Him more than on ourselves. So we can treat others with the humility and gentleness of Christ, chapter 10, verse 1. We need His power to demolish strongholds holding us captive, chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. We need His power to take captive our thoughts for Him, chapter 10, verse 5. So we use our authority to build others up and not tear them down, chapter 10, verse 8. To find our sphere of service He has assigned to us, chapter 10, verse 13. To confine our boasting to the Lord in the sphere of service He has assigned to us, chapter 10, verse 13. So we will seek our approval and commendation from Him rather than others, chapter 10, verse 17. Let Jesus satisfy your heart with confidence that you can depend on Him. Then live each day as a God-dependent woman. Until next time, I'm Melanie Newton, 
and this is series eight of Satisfied.